I would like to read or reread one verse from the chapter that we have just read before we turn to our text. And I want therefore to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10 just to refresh our memories. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. And our text will be found in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14. Our text then this morning is found in Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 14, where we read, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. We would seek the Lord's blessing as we handle this difficult subject this morning. We particularly want to focus upon the first part of that verse. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Before we get to the meat of the sermon, we really need to establish one or two things. What is the heart what is the heart here that the Bible speaks of? Well, of course, we need to state it. It's not the organ. It's not the physical organ. The Bible would describe our hearts as feelings or will or intellect or all of these things. It is, we might say, in modern parlance, it is the very center of ourselves, of our being. It is what makes us tick. It is central to man. We all have a heart. We all have a physical heart, yes. But we all have a heart that determines our course, that directs our thinking and actions. That's what it's talking about here. That's what we're to understand it. The backslider in heart. He's talking here about our inward disposition. What we are like truly. We find that in our hearts. It talks here about the backslider. Sorry, my title for the sermon is Beware of Backsliding. Beware of Backsliding. It talks here about the backslider. What is backsliding? Well, it's to flinch, it's to go back, to retreat, turn away. Now in one real sense, the whole of the human race is in a backslidden state by nature. Our first parents were created perfect. What happened? Well, we know. 
they fell to temptation. They believed the devil rather than God. And because of that, they backslid in some sense. And the whole of humanity by nature is in a backslidden state. That is not, however, how the Bible would describe a backslider. That's not. As far as the Bible is concerned, a backslider is, first of all, a professing Christian. It is a professing Christian. It's one who seeks to make a profession, who says they believe. It therefore applies this term, this condition to a professing believer. And there are two ways to look upon a backslider. It can be partial. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that a person can backslide for a season, for a time, and be restored. And we rejoice that that is the case. David is an illustration. He was a backslider. And his backslidden state revealed itself in the time when he committed adultery and ordered the murder of Uriah. Peter was in a, a backslidden state when he denied the Lord. But that was only partial. They were restored. But the backslidden state can be complete. Judas is an example. Judas had the highest office in the church. He was an apostle. He backslid. And his backsliding was complete. We don't like to say these things. Talking about a fellow human being. But the Bible tells us. That Judas is in hell today. That's an awesome thing to say. Too many people will talk about people being in hell. And we maybe don't have a warrant to say that. We don't know these things. But this is one thing we do know. Peter says he has gone to his own place. He's gone to hell. A terrible place. His backsliding was complete. We read here earlier on, we reminded ourselves about Demas. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. We can't say, but it may well be that Demas is in hell today too. The Bible does not hold out any hope of him being restored. And it would seem that his backslidden state was complete. We, this morning, we want to look at this subject. And what we are looking at and aiming at, and we want to hit the mark here, we are aiming at... Professing Christians 
who are in a backslidden state. Professing Christians who are real Christians, whom we believe that their backslidden state will only be partial and not complete. That's who we want to address this morning. Because Judas was a professing Christian, but he was never a true-hearted believer. That's why his backsliding ended in, ultimately, him going to hell. Because he was not a true-hearted believer. But we want to address this morning true-hearted, genuine Christians who may well be in a state of backsliding. A human being is a very complex individual. So is a Christian. If you're a real Christian, friend, something divine and wonderful and glorious has happened to you that cannot be repeated and cannot be revoked. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the new birth. This is a sovereign work of the living God. This was a work that you knew nothing about. That you didn't give your okay to. You didn't will this. You didn't bring this about. But God in his mercy has given you new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that new life, friends, cannot be taken away from you. Do I hear a hallelujah? Oh, we should have a hallelujah when we hear these things. That if we're saved by grace, we have been saved by the omnipotent hand of the living God. And Jesus says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. No man can snatch them out of my hand. My Father which give them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And therefore when we address this subject this morning, we want to tell the professing genuine Christian that the life of God is in you and it cannot be taken away from you. But you can backslide. You can. This is not easy to mark out. It's not easy to present this to you. But this is the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. We can backslide. And the worst thing about backsliding is that we may not be conscious of it. How is your Christian life? This is not a good subject to begin or almost to begin a new year. Is it not good, friends, to sit down and soberly look into our hearts? Oh, that we might truly examine ourselves under the word of God. Is this not a profitable time for us? You see, 
when we become Christians. We are born again by the Spirit of God. And Paul says, Christ is in you. The life of Christ is in you. And the more that you know and experience that life of Christ energizing you, this is how your spiritual life grows. This is how you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in you. Does he not say in the Colossians, Ye are complete in Christ. When people were telling the Colossians, oh, you need something else. It's not enough to have the Lord Jesus Christ. You need something else. Paul lays it down clear to them. Ye are complete in him. Christ is in you. The hope of glory. That's what lies before us. What are the, the Christian graces? What are some of them? Faith, hope, love. They are divine. But as one writer informed me not so long ago, these graces are divine. But they are not omnipotent. They are divine. But they are not omnipotent. And for, for, the, for these graces to grow in us and to flourish in us, for us to have faith, hope, and love, they must be energized. And how can they be energized? They are energized by the Lord Jesus Christ in us. Didn't Jesus say, Without me ye can do nothing? You cannot make one step, one step of progress in your Christian life unless the Lord Jesus Christ gives you this energy and this enthusiasm and this zeal. We look at that text. Without me you can do nothing. And we might think, well, it, it's referring to preaching. It's, it's referring to Christian work and service. And of course it does apply to that. But it applies to the very private Christian. To the very private Christian who's housebound, who can do nothing as far as Christian service is concerned. But they will not grow in grace and in faith and in hope. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ makes these graces grow within us. We want to look therefore at this complex subject. At the very least friends as we consider this sermon. You are to approach it. Like this. This sermon is to be looked upon as a beware, or to be aware of, or to take notice of at least. This is something that affects every single Christian. Backsliding, 
We cannot shut our eyes. We cannot go to sleep during this sermon if, we're a, if we are a professing Christian. Why? Because this is relevant to all of us. This is relevant to the minister, to the elder, to the office bearer, to the Sabbath school teacher, to the private Christian. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because, friends, we need to realize this, that the seed of every sin known unto man resides in your heart. I'm quite sure all of us here disdain the actions of the pedophile. The seed of that sin is in your heart. That should make you tremble. Backsliding is a terrible sin. That sin or the seed of that sin is in your heart. Therefore, we are to stir ourselves up. And as we look at this, and we can only look at it, you are to, you are to approach it. Beware, this is real, this is, this is pertinent, this is speaking to me. You are to be aware of it. You are to take notice of it. But friends, it may well be a warning on the other hand. It may well be a rebuke to you. Why? Because what I'm going to say might reveal that you are a backslider. And you're in a state of backsliding. And they don't know about it. Again, we need to establish that every sin is not a mark of a backslider. Backsliding is a sin, that's true. But we might commit a sin, for instance, and we might think that we're in a, a state of backsliddenness. That's not the case. As someone said, every spot is not leprosy. And every mark of sin does not prove a person to be a backslider. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, and this is talking about someone who's suddenly been tempted and who has been overtaken, who has succumbed to a sudden temptation. We could think of that incident with Joseph in the Old Testament in, in Genesis. He was in Potiphar's house. He was attending to his business. And what happens? His wife, Potiphar's wife, comes and basically throws herself at Joseph and says, Come to bed with me. Joseph, as we know, ran out, left everything. He wanted nothing to do with it. But if he had succumbed to that strong temptation, it would not be seen as that he was a backslider. He was simply overcome. And therefore, if this describes us, if this describes you, 
That does not necessarily mean to say you are a backslider if a man be overtaken in a fault. Or we might go and say we might sin by ignorance. This happens too. Leviticus talks about in verse uh, 2 of chapter 4. Speak unto the children of Israel. Say if a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord and so on. There, there's provision there for someone who sins in ignorance. And we may sin in ignorance. And we might not know. And therefore we're not to think that that, that is a mark of a backslider. And we are to rejoice that our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sympathetic towards those who sin in ignorance. For the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 5, verse 4, outlining the work of our great high priest, who can have compassion on the ignorant. Oh, this is not marvelous for us. How often have we sinned in ignorance? And we might condemn ourselves. We might think we're in a backslidden state. No. We confess our sins. We go to him who has sympathy, who's able to forgive our sins, who knows what it's like to live in this terrible world that we live in. And others, like the Apostle Paul, may have a battle with sin. You only have to read, for instance, Romans chapter 7 there, and you see the Apostle Paul, an exercised believer, struggling with sin. He was not a backslider. He battled with his sin. He abhors it. He resists it. Yet it still cleaves to him. But he was not a backslider. And so, so therefore when we look at this complex subject we have to realize that if these things that I've just mentioned belong to your life then that in itself is not a mark of a backslider. What then can we say about a backslider? <clears throat> you can be orthodox and a backslider. You can have uh, your theology correct. You can know your Bibles. You can know your confessions. You can recite the catechism. You can tick all the boxes. You can agree with these things. No one will come to your door from the cults or false religions and be able to catch you out. You know the word of God. You know the doctrines. You're reformed. But you can still be backslidden. Why? Because these things are simply in your head. And they don't stir your heart. You think of the glorious doctrine of election. Some are not keen to proclaim it. Well, we will proclaim it, but we have other things in the Word of God that we will proclaim also. But we will not hide from it. We delight in the, in the doctrine of election. But many of us, friends, would talk about election. And yet, 
our hearts are cold when our hearts should be full of love towards the Lord our God who has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is, friends, that if the doctrines have been orthodox does not move your heart, there's something far wrong. Go to the cross. There you see a bleeding Savior. There you see him covered in blood. There you see him a terrible state. And you can talk about the cross. But does your heart in any sense engage in what the Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross? We know that most of us here are Scottish. We're somewhat reserved as far as public displays of emotion are concerned. But are there ever invisible tears on your heart when you consider what Christ has done? When you consider the whole of mankind and yet God has chosen you. Others have been left aside. They have been left in their sin, but God in his infinite grace and mercy has placed his hand upon you and as it were has pulled you from the fire. Does it not indeed warm your heart? You can be a backslider, friends, and be diligent at the means of grace. And you should be diligent at the means of grace. It's good to be able to have private means of grace, but it's something else to come to the house of God and to be publicly there in the worship of God. And some of us, friends, are, are zealous to be at the means of grace. Every opportunity we're there at the means of grace. We take our seat there and we're there where the word of God is proclaimed, where prayers are offered up in the name of the Lord Jesus and where we sing his praise. But are we moved? Oh, I have to ask myself this. Surely this is something for the minister. He is, in some sense, a professional Christian. It's his job. And so it's so easy to come to the Scriptures, to read the Scriptures, to expound the, the Scriptures, to apply the Scriptures, and to do it in a professional manner. And in some sense, our hearts are not moved. We are remote and we're detached from the very things that we deal with. We can become like undertakers. You see the undertakers? What do they do? They're purveyors of death, is it not? They live in a death environment and they can get hard to it. And so can the minister. And so can the office bearer. And so can the professing Christian. Whereby these things that have turned the world upside down. Do not turn us at all. You come to the house of God. You're under the means of grace. And the minister with all his frailties will speak of the glory of heaven. And you're unmoved. 
he might, as occasion demands, he might speak about the terrors of God's law. He might speak about God. He might outline the attributes of God, how he is unchangeable, how he is a God of mercy and of compassion, of grace and long-suffering, yet he's also a God of judgment, and he's a God who is a consuming fire. And no matter what topic the minister might speak upon, you leave here and you're unmoved. Oh, but I'm a Christian. Should a Christian not be moved by these things? Are we to be cold? Surely we should be moved. It's a mark that's not good if we're not moved. Oh, if our conscience does not prick us. If on some occasion when the minister is preaching, if our conscience are not awakened, if we don't see a sin, if we don't see an act that's wrong, that must be put right, there's something far wrong. And we're in a state of being a backslider. Sometimes, friends, the Christian can immerse himself in activity in order that he might not face up to the reality that he is a backslider. This is what our text principally speaks of. Verse 14 of chapter 14 in Proverbs. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. What's it talking about? Well, it's talking about a heart that is barren, but a life that's full of activity. That's what he's talking about. And it's, it's Christian activity. It is religious activity. He or she is out here doing this, doing that, doing the work of the Lord, doing service for the church, but they're not attending to their own hearts. This is what it's talking about. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. As a late minister said, on this subject, quote, Our diaries are so full of engagements that we have no time to consider how empty are our hearts. <clears throat> and it's so easy for, for Christians to get involved in committees, to get involved in all kinds of affairs of the church, to be on the various courts, to do this and to do that in order to prepare, in order to further the cause of Christ as they see it. And they can be neglecting their own hearts. That's a mark of a backslider. What then is it to be 
a backslider. Well, friends, we might sum it up in a sentence. It is a decline of the life of God in the soul of the believer. Go back to what I said at the very beginning. God has put his spirit in us. God has put his life in us. And that life can never die. But it can decay. Are you sure, minister? Yes. Does it not tell us but to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we can grow, surely we can decline. And that's what a backslider does. It is a decline of the life of God in the soul of the believer. Demas. He was with the Apostle Paul. He's mentioned three times in the Bible. Colossians chapter 4 verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. In the next epistle in Philemon, here the Apostle Paul is giving parting words to the epistle. There salute the Epaphras. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. He had been an intimate associate with the Apostle Paul. Yet the time came for, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. How then, and I'm going to finish shortly, but how then can we prevent backsliding? If this is something that in some sense sticks to us and we must fight against it. The only way, friends, is to have closer intimacy with Jesus Christ. Proverbs again tells us, it's a wonderful book, Proverbs. Chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart. This is what's required of us. Keep our hearts. Keep our hearts soiled in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep it immersed in that love, meditate upon the Savior. There's maybe a fault we have, friends. We get together. What do we talk about? We talk about sermons. Well, that's good to a point. We talk about churches. We talk about ministers. Good to a point. When do we talk about Christ? That's how we avoid it. Proverbs goes on. My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. Oh, 
hears an invitation from the Savior. It's an invitation to the Christian. And yes, friends, we're going to broaden it. We're going to enlarge it. It's an invitation to us all here today, whether we really be believers or not. My son, my daughter, he, what does he say? Give me thine heart. That's what he says. That's what he says to us all today. If we want to avoid this, Christ must be in the heart. Someone said, quote, An uncharitable walk towards other Christians marks a low state of grace in the soul. The more entirely the heart is occupied with the love of Christ, the less room there will be for uncharitableness towards his saints. It is because there is so little love to Jesus that there is so little towards his followers. These are powerful words. We all can be uncharitable. We all may have this opinion that we are the best. And we might disdain others. Friends, if our hearts were full of love towards the Lord Jesus, we would have a greater love for each other. And for others who are not in our circle, but who are yet ones who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I know we haven't got to this extreme yet, but friends, heaven will be made up with more than just who are in the Reformed community. And we might look upon others who don't agree with us in certain things, and we might look down upon them. That's a mark of a backslidden Christian who's fallen out of love with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to finish with this quote from J.C. Ryle. Quote, there is no surer mark of backsliding and falling off in grace than an increasing disposition to find fault, pick holes, and see weak points in others. Beware of backsliding. It doesn't come with a, a notice. Sin is deceptive. Our hearts are deceptive. Beware of backsliding. Amen.